So as we said last week, this idea of symptom, of contraction, that when God wanted to make a space for a finite world, so we had the paradoxical question, where would God put a finite world? And the Arizal answered to the concept of symptom, that God contracted his presence in order to make room for a finite world. But this concept of symptom appears throughout reality. And so, in different contexts, not always the same context. But here we, we can see how if everything is created on the first day, as Rashi tells us, and that can be further condensed into the first sentence of the Torah. In other words, everything about creation we can see in just a more general sense in the first sentence, and then it's more condensed into the first word and then the first letter. So where I want to start today is with the word Bereshit. And it would probably be good if everyone writes it out in front of them. It is important to, to, to look at it or to get a Chumash and just open, open to one. So it's Bet, Resh, Aleph, Shin, Yud, Tav. Now this word, Bereshit, is the subject of an entire book called Tikkune Zohar. The Tikkune Zohar takes this word and permutes the letters in many different ways and then explains how we understand creation according to the permutations of the word Bereshit. So this is true of any word, especially a root word, that by combining the letters in different orders, we get a deeper understanding of all the connections to the root word. This is a, a, a very fundamental exercise in Kabbalah, and it's a deep understanding, because if we're saying that reality is nothing more than a combination of letters, so when you have a root word, well, there's a lot of potential there, depending on how you combine the letters. Just like if you take certain uh, molecules and you combine them in different ways, you will get different substances. And so therefore, this exercise of taking the word Bereshit and analyzing it by the different permutations of the word yields what Bereshit is. Because as we're saying, a, a word is is the essence of a entity are the letters that make it up. So when you understand what the, the, the letters are, then you understand the entity. In the context here, we don't have the possibility of delving into the meaning of all the, the letters, but in, in relationship to Brashi, we will try to bring some of these understandings. So the first thing we notice is 
that Bereshit is six letters and there are six days of creation and then of course Shabbos so here we have encoded and that's a very good word for what we're saying here encoded in the first word in the first sense of the Torah the first word of the Torah is six letters alluding to the six days of creation but the first sense of the Torah has seven words alluding to the addition of Shabbos now I'd like everyone to just sketch out a Magen David so the six letters of Bereshit is one of the secrets of the six points of a Magen David now take the Magen David you might have to make it a little bit bigger make a bigger Magen David and they're not just six points there there are actually six triangles surrounding a middle space so the middle space is obviously Shabbos but we can see it in, in a much even a more beautiful way in the following way is I'll just show you the first one and then everyone do it themselves each one of these triangles fold them in meaning make their mirror image to a middle point and you'll see what happens what, what do we see here all of the six triangles mitzamsem they contract they fold into a one middle point this we can call the point of the big bang this we can call the ray of light that Arizal talks about that pierces through the vacuum that is created for there to be finite worlds to the middle point Arizal says that it God shone in to the vacuum and to the middle point this ray of light and from this ray of light all the worlds were created both physical and spiritual so this is a beautiful idea here mm. this is a beautiful idea and for those who have been to my house who are yet to come to my house so I have a, a painting that I did of this mm. of, of showing the Magen David um, mm-hmm. with, with uh, I have two of them one with showing this reality and the other one is a Magen David framed by a bet the bet of Bereshit mm-hmm. so we've already looked at the deeper meaning of the letter bet but now let's take this is not going to be uh, every possibility but we're going to start with what words we can extract from these six now you can make two letter words or three letter words or four letter words or five letter words or six letter words and if you're making a three letter word then you, out of six you can have two three letter words let's look at one combination is Rosh Bait take the letters of Bereshit and they spell out Rosh Bait which means what we'll call the Balabite, the head of the house. <laughs> so here, 
we see that each one of these is going to teach us a different aspect of operation. This is not a word game. This is the the way one of the ways that Kabbalah comes to understand the the essential meanings of things is through the words and letters themselves. So here we have Rosh Bait, the idea of the head of the house. Now, for this I'm going to digress slightly and bring four reasons that are given for why did God create the world. Now we have to also understand that the first letter of the Torah is a bet, but what does bet actually mean? A house. A house. Bite. So here we're also told something very simple but profound. The first letter of the Torah is a house. So a simple teaching follows from this. In relationship to God, the world is like a house. Whose house? His house. Rosh Bait. He's the head of the house. But to understand this more, and I'm not saying that there are only four reasons given, but this is from a Torah from Rav Ginsburg, who arranges these four reasons according to the four letters of God's name. So he says the highest level, and this is really why I'm bringing this, but actually I'll start from the lowest level to build up to it. So the lowest level is the expression Ein Melech below Am. There is no king without a people. And even though there are those who object to using this as a reason for God creating the world, others do. In other words, we address God as king of the universe around a hundred times a day. We're supposed to make a hundred blessings a day. So we're addressing God as king of the universe. So even though we're talking in human language here, and this will connect itself to the other, to really the second reason, is for this aspect of God to be revealed, imply that there had to be a world that would then come and relate to God as king of the universe. That's called, like, in a sense, the lowest level, or the more, we'll call it, in human terms. And then one above this, we're told that, that the essential nature of God is goodness. And just like in a human model, to be good means you have to have someone to be good to, whether it's your, your dog or your plants, or other human beings, or institutions. You have to have a recipient of the goodness. And since God desires good, and His essence is good, Hodu Lashem Kitov Ki Hashem is good, so God created the world so there would be a recipient for His goodness. On a higher level is what is explained that God wanted to be known. In other words, this, this would fit in very well with the, with the Rambam, who, <coughs> who not describes, but uh, speaks about God as pure intellect. 
and that God wanted to be known. And then the highest level, which is also the most mysterious, enigmatic, and this is why I'm bringing this whole teaching, is it says the heat of the Hakadosh Baruch Hu liyot lo dira b'tachtonim that God desired to have for Himself a dwelling place, a bite in the lower worlds. That is the meaning of the Bet Abrishi. God desired to have for Himself a dwelling place in the lower worlds. And so that is the meaning here of Rosh Bait, that the, as mysterious as, as it is, why an infinite God would desire to have a physical, material world, so that is the deepest of questions. But if you'll notice that the word it says, the heat of the, Taiva. God had a desire to have a place in the lower world. So this is as mysterious as you can get, but it's, it's hinted to in the first letter of the Torah and the permutation of Rosh Bait. Yeah. Um, is this also connected with um, God wanting to have a relationship with is that how many, like, yeah, but that's one becomes two in order to one is as soon as you have two, you have relationship. Right. Right. So, so yes, absolutely. It has to do with all of us. There's no king without a people. God wanted to do good. He wanted a recipient of the goodness. God wanted to be known. In other words, he wanted uh, like the feedback. Right? The teacher wanting the feedback and he wanted a dwelling place in the lower worlds. So this concept, this is very connected to the Beit Hamikdash. The Beit Hamikdash, the temple, becomes the symbol or the representation of the indwelling of the Shekhinah, the indwelling of God's presence in this world. And we know that God is everywhere, at all times, in all places. But nonetheless, the Beit Hamikdash, or by extension, Yerushalayim, and then it's Eretz Yisrael, becomes the dwelling place for that spiritual energy. If God wanted to be known, so why did He make it so hard to be known? So, this is not a... Um, easy or quick answer but it's already we've already answered part of it in one becomes two in order to be one that and I'm sure you've heard this before but it does fit in here is as the recipient of God's goodness so we're told that what is the greatest goodness that God could possibly give a human being is the ability to be a to be in the image of God. And that image of God, by definition, means having free choice, free will. And therefore, we need to earn whatever spiritual refinement 
elevation, rectification, is through hard work. That's the way God made the world. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about even to even get to the point in your life where you recognize that there's a God in the world and that that's what's going to, what your life is going to be about. Like, that's such a level for most people to even reach that place. You know, like, I, I go out in yeah. the world and I'm like, like, oh my gosh, like, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy when I go out in the world. Not in usual mind, but I mean, like, you know... But let, let's, let's define, I just read a, um, uh, a poll um, from an, a magazine of, of elderly people, anyone over 50. Yeah. And the result, they asked questions, uh, very interesting. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in reincarnation? All these questions, very interesting. 97% of them believes in God. When you say that, that people look at you like you're crazy, that truthfully, it's not, not because you believe in God. It's because you, you, do, you, you, you learn Torah and you do mitzvot and you've adopted a certain lifestyle that many people find it very hard to understand. But it's not, no, it's not because you believe in God that people think you're crazy. Now, there are people who don't believe in God. And so they probably look at people who believe in God as crazy. But this poll, I think, was very indicative. No. I really don't... I really don't... Yeah, was what? Recently. It was going with... Yeah, with, yeah just... Uh, most, uh, by far, mostly non-Jews. And I've seen many, many polls. America, for all of its materialism its crassness, its lack of morals and ethics in our day, the, the vast majority of people believe in God. And that leads to all kinds of questions, why you have this disparity, but we'll go too long. No, I seem to get put in the path of a lot of no. people who tell me, right to my face, I don't believe in God. You know, I, or I don't know if I believe in God. Or, you know, like, and, I, and I'm coming across it all the time, and I kind of see that as part of my work in the world is to try to raise consciousness mm-hmm. everywhere I go. But, but I'm seeming to constantly be in, in mm-hmm. contact with people who, like, who it's a very big question mark in their mind, you know. Okay, so but, but right now we're trying to answer. Yeah. So even that first step, we have to earn it. We have to earn it. It's what the Magana message called hide and seek. God created a divine game of hide and seek. And actually the, the story goes that there's one of the Chabad rabbis whose grandson comes crying to him. And he says, what's wrong? He says, I'm playing hide and seek with my friends and I'm hiding, and they stopped looking for me. It might have been the altar Rebbe, uh, I'm not sure, but he said, Gavald, right? He said, Hashem is hiding. <laughs> what must he feel like when we stop looking? But we're told that that's the way God had to make the world in order for us to earn um, our image of God, which is the greatest goodness. 
So God gave us free will and it allows us to fall on our face all over the place, allows people to create horrible evil and destruction and violence. And we ask all the time, why is God allowing this? But once God made the rules of the game, as it were, so then he, he pretty much goes by the rules of the game. And so therefore we have, and with this we'll come back to our serophim here, our permutations, that the actual word for world, olam, comes from he'alam, hidden. But there's a paradox here, because whatever we know of God is from the world around us. God isn't hiding at all. But at the very no, but at the yes, at the very same time, he's totally hidden. Totally for those who don't want to see it, he's totally hidden. For those who want to see it or or make the effort to see it, then he's everywhere. But that's that is the makeup of reality. That's God made it that way. And even though for for us who are who experience the, the, the pain and the suffering of not being on such a high level. So it, it, sometimes we question it. But and anyone knows that when you earn something and you create something and you accomplish something through your own work, so it's yours forever. That's what they say. When we, when we leave this world, we only take one thing with us or actually two the Torah we've learned and the mitzvahs that we've done but that is ours forever for all eternity and, and that's what we're told that's the greatest goodness that God could give you is that is if, if you earned it then you have it forever and, and, and you will reap the reward in, in the world to come you will experience the reward. Actually, I learned today in the Gemara where the Gemara sets up this proposition that tzaddikim suffer in this world and have the reward in the world to come. And Rashaim, evil people, get their reward in this world and then suffer in the world to come. And so one of the sages says, well, is that really the best option? How about Sadiqim being rewarded in this world and the world to come? And the Gemara says, if it can be that way, why not? Why not? Right? But still we have the equation that Sadiqim, whatever suffering we need to do, will be in this world. And the world to come is, is the reward for the good that we do. But the Gemara then says, no, but Sadiqim could also have, have it good in this world. It's not a contradiction to have a good in this world and also have a good world to come. That's like the ideal. Why not shoot for the ideal? Okay, back to the permutations of Bereshit. These are in no particular order. And, and they're, they're more than what we're going to get to. Brit Eish. A covenant of fire. So we learn two things from this. The, the science tells us that 
the beginning of creation that the, the there was a unity after the Big Bang there was a total unity of all the forces of creation that would later um, divide into four basic forces but the reason that they were unified was because the heat um, the, the words of Brian Green, I believe, it was exquisitely hot. <laughs> In other words, it, it, was, it was temperatures that, okay, we look at them, but we, we, you know, it reaches 100, you know, and we're like melting, and we're talking about like billions of degrees. So the world was, was, was created in fire, in ash. And the concept of breed is that God, in a sense, has a covenant with the world. We know in Noah, he revealed one covenant of the rainbow, of not destroying the world. And we know that the Jewish people have a specific covenant. But when God created the world, he had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose in mind. And that this purpose will be fulfilled. And it's in a constant state of being fulfilled. But this is the concept of breed is the opposite of chance or coincidence or accident. That much of belief in evolution, I'm not talking about even the mechanics of evolution, but the, the implications of, of evolution is life happened by chance mutation it was not, there was no direction from a higher source so the concept of breed is very different than that God made a breed with his world a covenant with his world that there is a purpose and a reason for the creation and it will be fulfilled so then you have a very interesting combination of words that if you look in Bereshit you have bar, bat, ish, and ashit. And why this is so interesting is that in the symbology of the spherot, so we're told that the spherot are constructed from constellation of forces. And, uh, and they're given anthropomorphic names Chachm is called Abba in this case like Ish Bin is called Mother Eishet Ima that Zeranpin is called the Son Bar and Malchut is called the Daughter Bat so the construction of the Surah again in symbolic terms is like a family. It's like, it's like a, a family constellation. So here you see in Bereshit, in a sense, it's not the exact Abba, Ima, Ben, Bat, but there are four words that allude to, to that same thing. Connected to this, you have Ashrei, Bat. Happy is the daughter. 
Now this takes on very, very important implications in Kabbalah. As we said, that Malchut is the daughter. And we said, Ein Melech Beloam. There's no king without a people. And so, in the big, biggest terms possible, in relationship to creation, God as creator is the male, and all of creation is female. It's the same way we talk about the relationship between God and the Jewish people. That God is the male, the chatan, the groom, and Israel is the isha, is the feminine. But here we see, what we're getting to with all of this is how all of the concepts that will ever be revealed are already in the first sentence and the first word of the Torah. So here we see Ashrei Bat, and it's interesting that it's the first letter and the last letter of Bereshit. Right? Bat. So the Bait, that's what it says in the Gemara, that a man's wife is called his house, his Bait. So here we see a beautiful connection. When God is creating the world, the world is God's house, as it were. And that house, in relationship to God, is the feminine. And so from here, you, you can see the, where the imagery, in especially the Zohar, of the male-female symbolism that runs through all of Kabbalah, we can see it in the first word right here. As God is the, the male, the creator, and creation as the receiver, the feminine. And it says that God desires to have a, a dwelling place in the lower world. In, in ways that we, we really can't comprehend that the somehow the, the one before it becomes two I mean you, you, you can't say this but you can say it. that that unity needed to become two in order to become one again and that the, the, the final one will in a sense be on a higher level than even the original unity and that's actually alluded to by, by, by Rashi Actually, he says it very clearly. When uh, we're fighting Amalek, after it says, Yad al-Kaiska, that God puts his hand on the throne of God. And he swears that there will be a, a, a war with Amalek in every generation. So Rashi points out that the word for throne, Kise, is missing an Aleph. And the Torah says, Kase. Mm-hmm. And the word for God is yud K, where it's almost always in the, in the Torah, the name yud K is, is virtually never mentioned. It's always yud K vav K. Mm-hmm. So God says, and God's name is incomplete. <clears throat> so Rashi says, a well-known Rashi, that until evil is destroyed from the world, it's as if 
He's got to, again, Rashi's not going to say, he can't say that there's something lacking in the oneness of God. Like, we just, we just can't say that. But he does, but he says it's as if God's oneness is, is incomplete. Because the Aleph is missing. Yeah, the Aleph is missing and two letters of God's name is missing. Which passage is this? This is in... <coughs> It's in um, Shemot, and the parsha B'Shalach, and the, it's, it's in Matir of B'Shalach, after the war with Amalek. <coughs> so every generation until when? Until Mashiach. Until, until evil is vanquished. <coughs> and then, we say it in the Lainu every day. What does it imply? Right now it's not. It's not the, the oneness is not revealed. Again, that doesn't mean that God isn't one. We don't say such a thing. Of course God is one and complete and perfect. And his name is God. I'm trying to understand that. His the numerical value of his name, Shemo, is 346 equals Ratzon, will. That God and his will will be one. In other words, do you think this is the way God wants the world right now? Right? So, in other words, his, the ultimate manifestation of his will is not now. It's only when. He, at the time of Mashiach, the world to come, when the world is transformed, then God will be one with his will because this is what he wants for the world. So, uh, to hear the whole Rashi, he says, so he said, the simple understanding is God is raising his hand, as it were, and swearing that there will be war and, and conflict with evil, Amalek, for, forever. So this is what Rashi says, Umahu kes velo nemar Why does it say kes, missing a letter, and not kise? And even God's name is only half. Yud K and not Yud K Vav K. Nishba Kadosh Baruch Hu She'ain Shemo Shalem Ve'ain Kiso Shalem Ad She'yimcheh Shemo Sha'amalach Kulo And God promises that His name is not complete and His throne is not complete until the name of Amalek is wiped out. U'kishayimcheh Shemo Yiyah Hashem Shalem Bekiseh Shalem and it will be that when he's wiped out, then his name will be complete, and his throne will be complete. Shneimar, ha'oyev tamu charavot lenetzach, zeh amalek shekatuv bal ve'evrato shamra netzach. It says that one day the enemy will be completely wiped out. This is talking about amalek. Amalek at this point represents evil in the world. We're in a sense, 
we could be more specific that those peoples or nations in the world that want to destroy us and openly declare it and openly declare it mm-hmm. so the rabbis have said that it's not the genetic nation but it is the spiritual nation of Amalek and to our great sadness in every generation that's what we say in the Haggadah in every generation they come to destroy us and without God's help we wouldn't be able to, to make it we had it we had it 60 years ago <coughs> we had it with Saddam Hussein we have it with Hamas and Hezbollah in Iran right? and they, they are they openly because so for the, in a more specific sense that is Amalek in a more general sense it's just evil wherever it, it presents itself in a more specific it's, it's all too alive now ok going forward Yirah Shabbat and this is of course very important that Shabbat is in Bereshit Sof Ma'asei B'mach Shabbat Tachila the end of deed is first in thought so here is a, a, a beautiful example of what we're saying that everything was created on the first day it just only reveals when it's time comes and this is also connected with the purpose of creation. The word Bereshit, the way we're learning it now, is not only is it telling us like how the world is created, like Aish, or the relationship of God to his world, like male to female, and how that manifests itself like everywhere. Hebrew is a male-female language. Our whole context of our language and language represents uh, people's culture and thought process mm-hmm. and, and as I said the entire Kabbalah is predicated on this male, female masculine, feminine and all that it implies and most of the implications have nothing to do with m- males or females especially male bodies and female bodies we're talking about energies that are manifest everywhere but even more than that we're talking about seeing in Bereshit what is the purpose of creation what is the purpose so we saw already in the word bite a hint to God desiring a dwelling place in the lower world and here we're seeing in Shabbat because what do we say after Mashiach comes? Harachman hu yanchilenu yom shakulu shabbat umanucha lachayulamim. That the world is that's where it's going. It's not as haphazard and by chance as it seems. The whole world is going towards Shabbat, and here you have right in Bereshit, you have Shabbat. The Yira. So this is uh, uh, very connected to uh, something that the Slonimer Rabbi teaches all the time. He made a great emphasis in all of his teachings uh, the importance of Yira and Ahava. 
in the service of God. It's rare to get through a piece by the Sonomer without him mentioning Yirat Hashem and Avat Hashem. And the relationship between them and what comes first and what Yira is and what Ava is and how they feed off of each other. But he, he always quotes the, the, the Zohar that says the first step in Avodat Hashem is Yira. That's what it says. Reshit Chachma Yirat Hashem. The first beginning of, of Torah wisdom is the awe of God. So here you have in Breshit, in sense, the source that it's there. And that we can relate to on uh, there's the, the fear, the healthy fear and respect that we have for God. But on a deeper level, what we can learn is that the fact that the word years in Bereshit is to have a, an endless state of awe of being part of creation. We'll call this a childlike wonder of being a part of God's world. This is something that all too many adults lose all too early. Is this a simple awe of being alive? And just being in awe of the beauty of the world and the complexity of, of God's world. So here again we see the source of the concept of the, the first level of wisdom is, is the fear of Shem or the awe of Shem. This goes very well with the Targum Yonatan. Targum Yonatan ben Uziel was a parallel uh, translation of the Torah into Aramaic whereas the Targum Onkelos is more on the side of the we'll call it the, the pshat the simple understanding Targum Yonatan was a we'll call it dealing with more remez, jush and sod even though they're still both translating the words but the onkelos translates Bereshit as like Reshit the Kadma in the beginning the Targum uh, Yonatan his first word is Bechachma in wisdom God created the world. So here's a connection with Yura here. Reshit Chachma Yerat Hashem. As you see, there's so much we can see here. So much we can see. Another beautiful one is Bereshit is Aleph Tishrei. Now there should be a question. First of all, that's just an amazing thing. Right? But there should be a question about that. When is Baal of Tishrei? Rosh Hashanah. Is the world created on Rosh Hashanah though? According to our tradition? No. It's actually Chaf Hei Elo. But what is created on Baal of Tishrei? Adam. Adam. Adam is created. Which is when our world starts. Yeah. In other words, our consciousness of the world Right, begins in Baal of Tishrei. Baal of Tishrei. Now, 
we'll just do a couple more. Shir Tavo, a coming song. Or Shir Taev, a song of, of desire. Now for this, I would uh, have everyone turn their attention um, to my book on music, The Mystical Power of Music where I, I write extensively about this. I mean, like, half of the book is connected to this idea that in the Rashid is the word shir, his song. And, but for our purposes now, is uh, we already spoke about Baruch She'amar V'hayalam. Plus, is the one who spoke and the world came into being, and the idea that there are ten mamarot, ten expressions through which the world is created. But here we take it one step further. And we say it's not so much that God spoke the world into being, but he sang the world into being. And like I said, like half of the book is connected to this understanding that uh, creation <coughs> is song. And the, the best part of it is when it's connected to science. And we can see that in the description of reality as given in physics, quantum physics, and especially string theory, but even without string, string theory is still a theory. But string theory is based on mathematics and, and physics. That the paradigm or the metaphor of music, so in the wor words of Brian Greene, who wrote The Elegant Universe, probably the most popular book on uh, physics in, in a long time it's called The Elegant Universe so he said that the metaphor of music as a description of the physical universe has taken on startling implications and he describes very clearly that it's not just a metaphor that the vibrational reality as created within the atom which is the building block of everything is music that's what it is and so the conclusion is that God sang the world into creation and it receives its constant um, energy through not so much speech but song. So here we see it in the Reshit. It's a very, very important word uh, to see in Bereshit. Now, we're, we're, almost, we're almost done. I welcome everyone to continue these are not all of the combinations. There are other combinations.
and each one yields um, like much uh, understanding. But I wanted to mention uh, one other thing about Bereshit, and that is its numerical value. That Bereshit equals 913. And I will bring from Rav Ginsburg three other words or phrases that have the same gematria. And we know that anytime words or phrases have the same gematria, then we, we learn deep associations and connections. So one word that has the same value of Bereshit is Hit Boninut. Wow. Which is the word for meditation. It's got the same gematria. Yeah. Wow. 913. Hit Boninut. Which is, which is telling us this is very, very connected to one of the reasons that we brought that God created the world was to be known. And he the notes in, in the sense that we bring here, obviously I, I, I can only explain so much. Or anyone wants to hear more, we just put up on the website four classes on, on Jewish meditation. But meditation that is related to here is that through the Torah, through meditating on the words, stories, mitzvot, verses of the Torah, is where we access new insight into God, to ourselves, into the world and to the Torah itself. So, the... It's... Rashi, um, in, in, on the first word, Bereshit, says an am- amazing thing. Amazing thing. He says, this word is calling out Darshani. Make drushes on me. He says, like, look deeply into me. I have so much here. Darshani. It's amazing Rashi. So here, so what is this Darshani? So there's a verse that says, Bechal libi darashticha. With all my heart, I sought you out. And it's explained, how do we seek out God? We seek God out through meditation. Another beautiful phrase is, and we actually say it on Rosh Hashanah, and it's brought in Sefer Yitzirah. And when, in a sense, describing the world, it says, Tola Haaretz Al Blima that the world is hanging in nothingness. And this is brought as uh, a, a support that the sages had a concept of the earth in space. As it says it, it's exactly what it says. He hung the world on nothingness or in nothingness. 
So this expression, Tolah Ha'aretz Ablima, equals 913. And the last one, and with this one in the class, is it is the same gematria as one of the the names that we give one of the parshas, the Ata Titzaveh. Parsha Titzaveh, which begins the Ata Titzaveh, and you shall command. Also equals nine hundred thirteen, and the connection is that what is this parsha? all about the Mishkan the whole parsha is about the Mishkan and it begins and you shall command them to take pure oil for the menorah so Rab Ginsburg explains that first of all the word vi'ata when you change the letters around spells ta'ava desire and we already said that the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, is the symbol of the reason that we gave that God created the world. Um, God had a desire, the same word. That God had a desire to create, uh, have a dwelling place in the lower world. And since this parsha of the Atatitzaveh is all about building the Mishkan, so it equals 913 in order to reconnect us to this idea of Bait and what God is creating in the world. Uh, and I'll end with one, one thing, is just like we asked, why isn't the first letter of the Torah an Aleph and instead of Bet? So, there's also, you could ask the question, you might think that the first word of the Torah would equal a thousand. 913 is very close to a thousand. And there's all these different things about a thousand. So, it's like, there's reason to ask the question. Like, like wouldn't it have been nice? Or like, mm-hmm. like, wouldn't you have thought? Just like the first thing Rashi says, first, first Rashi in the whole Torah is, is, why does the Torah begin from Bereshit and not from Chorosh um, Zelacha? I know there's the same kind of, like, and so the, he asks, what do you mean? The Torah starts in Bereshit. How are you asking the question? Like, why, like, why does it start from Bereshit and it could have started from there? Like, it's like, but it's a hypothetical question. So here's a hypothetical question. That, that the Torah, that there's something about a thousand. So 913 is 87 short. So this I heard from Rav Ginsburg. He said that a certain type of gold was used in the temple and it was called paz. Used in the way? In the temple. <laughs> Was a, a certain purity of gold was called Paz. So he said that the 87 missing from Bereshit is the gold that was used in the temple. Once again, we're talking symbolically here. Talking symbolically, but that the 87 
of all the gold in the temple right, is connected to Breshi. That's what he's trying to say. Is that the temple is part of the purpose represents the purpose for which the world is created in the first place. is represented by the temple and mostly by the gold. As I said, the Tatsits of that, you shall um, command them to take pure olive oil for the menorah, which is one made from one large block of gold. There's this idea called the thousand lights of creation. Mm. There's this concept called the thousand lights of creation. It's elephant. It's elephant. It's the olive. And we learned that the olive, even though it doesn't appear there, it's like there. Mm. It's the it's the one that becomes two. So it's there. So we should all be blessed to meditate mm. on the story of creation, the first sentence of creation, the first word, first letter, first dot. and the first dot, and and as it says, Gal Enai, the Abita Niflaot Metorah Open my eyes that I shall see wonders in your Torah. 